Our scripture today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 8. We'll begin in verse 9 and go through verse 25. It's on page 1089 in your pew Bible. As you're turning to find it, um, the, the elders and I, we learned last Sunday, Pastor James Collins. Everyone here remember James Collins? Yeah, he's, he's one of our Timothys. He, he came here and he worked here and went, while he went through seminary and, and he went on and he's been the senior pastor at Bethany Christian Church in Lakeland, Florida, I believe since 2012, around that time. And for the last two plus years, James has been battling uh, cancer. And unfortunately, what this has led to at this time is he will be retiring his last Sunday will be the Sunday after Easter, April 28th of 2019. Pastor James is, uh, even though he's gone on to be a lead pastor of his own congregation, he is still our Timothy. One of the things the elders and I uh, would like to encourage you to do is to make a love offering to James and, and for his wife. He's retiring early. Uh, he's, he's applying for some disability benefits because of his cancer, but he anticipates a five-month gap of, of no income. And, and so they are in, in need of your love and your support. Now, also because he's our Timothy and he was our pastor and because we love him and we support pastors around here, uh, Pastor Chris and Kathy will be leading a caravan and possibly driving the church van if needed for all those on Sunday, April 28th, would like to go and be there for his last Sunday. I encourage you to. You can skip church that day only if you're in Lakeland, Florida, right? That's, that's your excuse. And, and so you can go there, celebrate his retirement, thank him for his gifts of ministry. If you would like to contribute uh, to, to the gift we're going to give them on behalf of First Christian Church of the Beaches, if you could please get it in the church office by what's the latest day you want it in, Don? Easter? Easter Sunday, latest, get it in. That way we can get, get it all counted and the check made. We're going to present that to him at his retirement party as well on the 28th. And, and so we ask that you hold James and his wife and his family in your prayers. We also ask that you hold Bethany Christian Church in Lakeland, Florida in your prayers. And my ask, this, the, the elders did not encourage us, but I'm going to encourage you this. If you go there to visit Bethany Christian Church on April 28th, Give your tithe on that Sunday to Bethany Christian Church. Please do that. They're going to need your support because this is also an unknown thing for them heading forward. You know because you experienced it. Searching for a pastor can take some time. And it can also put a stress on smaller churches, unlike the stress it put on here. So I encourage you to go be there, to give a gift of love if God's calling you to it, and if you are there, please give your tithe that day to that church. So, let us pray. Oh, holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we've been in the book of Acts for a while, and, and one of the things when, when watching television shows that they do after a few episodes is they begin the episode by saying, previously on Suits, right? 
And, and then they begin recapping, not the entire episodes you've watched, but they recap about 30 to 90 seconds worth so you understand what's about to happen. I, I kind of want to provide you a previously in Acts just to kind of catch you up to where we are. It began in, in chapter one, where most books begin in chapter one. And there Jesus was with his disciples and he told them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and to Judea, to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus would ascend to the heavens. And before he ascended, he said, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. And on the day of the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends down in Jerusalem amongst the apostles, and there goes the gospel. They begin hearing each other in their own tongues, and Peter goes out on the streets and begins preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it explodes. Thousands are saved, and it continues to grow. Every time they preach and they gather more, people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. There's even miracles being done. This gets Peter and John in trouble, and they get brought before the Sanhedrin council, the, the people, that, the Pharisees and Sadducees and the chief priests, and, and they're told, stop doing it, stop preaching the resurrection of Jesus, and they said, no. And they continue on preaching and, and praying for boldness. And later, again, Peter and all of the apostles get brought before the Sanhedrin, and that, this time they're threatening bodily harm upon them, and they said, we must obey God, and they leave and go on about their business. Now, they've been obeying God, and there's thousands of Christians, this new community of believers together, and yet there were some who were falling through the cracks. There were some widows and those in need that weren't being cared for, and so the apostles, seeing this, appointed deacons for the church. Deacons were to assist in the ministry, assist the apostles in carrying out in the care for others. See, their, their deacons did more than serve communion and help with the offering and, and functions on Sunday morning. Deacons biblically are called to care and nurture the community, to assist in the ministry of the church. And of those deacons called was a man named Stephen. And Stephen was a man of the Holy Spirit, and, and he rose up, and not only did he care for those, but he also was preaching and teaching, and he's the first non-apostle recorded as doing signs and miracles and wonders. Well, and they then brought false testimony against him, and he goes before the Sanhedrin, and they're enraged and grinding their teeth, and then they drag him out and they execute and Saul was there. Saul was a Pharisee. It says in the beginning of chapter 8, he approved of this. And then he began persecuting Christians. He would go into their homes and drag them out, put them in prison. They would have executions of them. And they scattered. The people scattered. The believers scattered. It says the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the believers scattered to Judea and to Samaria, fulfilling what Jesus had said would happen with the gospel and being witnesses to Judea and Samaria. And now because of the persecution Saul and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin has brought upon the church, they're in Samaria, and there's a deacon here in chapter 8 that we get introduced to. His name is Philip. Not Philip the apostle, but Philip 
the deacon. And Philip is in Samaria and he's preaching the gospel, preaching the resurrection, preaching the coming kingdom of God. And people are coming to faith. It says they are believing and being baptized. And then it picks up our story today in verse 9, if you'll follow along with me. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they laid their hands on them and received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now here, Philip has brought the gospel to Samaria. Samaritans were considered half-breeds. They were considered less than. They were no longer even part of the chosen people of God. Samaria resides in the northern kingdom of Israel, in which before this episode, 700 years before Simon the magician, they had been conquered. And upon them being conquered, they did not follow the instructions, and they intermarried, and then through their intermarriage with those who had conquered them, they began adopting some of their religious practices and co-mingling with the Jewish faith, and it became this whole other thing. And so the Jewish people in Judea and Jerusalem saw them as half-breeds. They saw them as less than. They saw them as unworthy and avoided them at all costs. In fact, on their travel routes to go north, they would frequently go around Samaria, even though it was a longer journey, just so they didn't have to deal with those people. Now, if we remember the Gospels in any bit, we've all heard the parable of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus tells of a man laying on the side of the road, and, and there were other righteous and good, honorable Jewish men that passed them that don't stop and help, but it's the Samaritan that helps. And this was extremely uh, rebellious and and hard to hear in Jerusalem as Jesus was saying, no, no, the the good person was the Samaritan. 
couldn't believe what they were hearing. And so here, the gospel's gone to the Samaritans. And they have believed and been baptized. But the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. And all of the commentators through history agree that the reason the Holy Spirit was waited upon until Peter and John came and laid hands is because there was such that divide between Samaritans and Judeans that they needed to wait for the apostles from Jerusalem to go and lay hands so that they could confer the truth that, yes, they were included in God's plan, that they are included as recipients of the gospel, that the gospel, yes, is for everyone. And so while there, we get introduced to Simon the Magician. Now Luke has a purpose for introducing us to Simon the Magician. Next week, when Pastor Chris preaches, he'll introduce you to the Ethiopian eunuch. And they're put side by side for this purpose. So that when we get to chapter 9 and we see the conversion of Saul, we can use these two stories of Simon the Magician and the Ethiopian eunuch to see is Saul a true convert or is he a false convert? Because remember, Saul is the one who led the persecution against the church. He's this Pharisee and he's dragging them out of their homes. So Luke, for Luke, it's imperative for the readers to determine based on what is a true believer and what is not, did Saul be truly converted? And so he tells us of Simon the magician. Simon the magician is one who, while it appears he was converted because it says he believed and was baptized, did not have a saving faith. John MacArthur says there's four characteristics as to why he didn't have a saving faith. It's because he was prideful. It's because he had a view of salvation that was external only. It's because he tried to buy God. And it's because he didn't understand sin. Now here as we see Simon being introduced, we see in verse 9, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed people of Samaria saying that he himself was somebody great. I mean, that's just not confidence. That's blatant arrogance. Like, if you, if you want to know the definition of a prideful man, I give you Simon the magician. Here he is going around. It's not necessarily others are testifying to his greatness. He's telling everyone himself, I'm somebody great. I do amazing things. I'm quite important. You should know who I am. It's the equivalent of walking in some place and being miffed and saying, well, don't you know who I am? Simon was eager to tell you exactly who he was. He was great. And they were amazed at his magic. So amazed that they even conferred this greatness upon him. It says in the scripture, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying the, this man is the power of God that is called great. And as we continue reading about Simon, we see that his pride 
is never humbled. He continues to stand and believe himself to be great. And in fact, Justin Martyr and Irenaeus and Josephus, they're all early church fathers and historians, they would write about Simon the magician and that he, he became so great and so famous in Rome, they would build a statue to him saying, Simon the Holy One. Simon thought highly of himself. But scripture is clear throughout. Pride has no place for those who believe. See, when we can go and we can read the Apostle Paul, who was this Saul guy that was persecuting Christians, after his conversion and he's writing to churches in Galatians, he says, boast not in yourself, but boast only in the cross of Christ. He writes other places that he was the chief amongst sinners. Paul was not there to boast on his own accord and accolades, but quick to recognize his faults and boast only in Jesus. See, the apostle James writes in his letter in the fourth chapter, in verse six, he says, therefore it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The psalmist himself will write in Psalm 10, In verse 4, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Psalm 110, or 101, verse 5, it's written, Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure probably the most striking scripture about pride comes from Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. And here we have Simon the magician ready to tell you how great he is. It's a characteristic of someone who came to faith but didn't have saving faith. Because the scripture says pride is an abomination. There is no stronger language used within scripture to describe something as awful and terrible. An abomination is pride. It won't go unpunished. Now, the other thing Simon had going for him is that he didn't really understand salvation. He viewed it as this external thing. In fact, he viewed it as the signs and the wonders and the miracles. He's a magician by trade. He's the one who would go around and see all of this. And now he sees Philip who comes in with the power of the Holy Spirit doing signs and wonders and miracles amongst the people. And they're amazed at what Philip's doing. And Simon, as a magician, recognizes that that is real. And so he's following Philip around. And in verse 13, we see even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed 
This is the third time Luke has used the word amazed in these four short verses. The other two times he tells us how from the least to the greatest they were amazed. And that even when he told them how great he was, that they were amazed at his magic. And Luke is giving us this imagery that other people are amazed with his magic. And now Simon has seen Philip perform signs and wonders and miracles. And now he's amazed at what's being done by Philip. But he doesn't ever see that it points to the power in Christ. He only sees it as more cool tricks. He only sees it as something that he's interested in having. He saw it as a better, a truer magic. But he never fully saw the salvation that it pointed to. And so as Peter and John come along to lay hands and let the Holy Spirit descend upon the Samaritans, Simon sees this happening. And in verse 18, he says, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Again, Simon the magician is only interested in doing miracles and signs and wonders. He wants this power for himself so that he can be greater than he already is. For he is seeking stature among men, never recognizing that this comes from the Holy Spirit, that this comes from grace, that this is the power in which gives us life to live. He sees it as a means to a paycheck. He says, give this to me. How much does it cost? Here's some money. Peter responds with some of his harshest words. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. For your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of the wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Peter says, God will not be bought. There's no amount of money to buy your salvation. There's no amount of money that you can give to God to get gifts and graces and blessings in your life. Peter says that's not how this works. And Martin Luther, this is why the Reformation came 500 years ago. The Catholic Church was selling indulgences. Indulgences were papers that conferred uh, forgiveness of sin so that people could get out of purgatory sooner and they started selling them for money. People were buying for money grace from God. That's why the Reformation happened. And Martin Luther is sitting here reading scripture and he's saying, Peter says, no, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. When you try to buy off God, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. 
Now, while the selling of indulgences happened 500 years ago, it hasn't completely stopped. We can still see that there are things called mass cards that you pay so that the person who is deceased may get out of purgatory sooner. Again, you're buying grace for somebody. And then on TV, in some of the largest churches in America and around the world, there are preachers standing before you, encouraging you, saying, if you give your money to this ministry, you will be wealthy, you will be healthy, you will have all of your dreams, but you got to give to this ministry. Give so you can get. And Peter says, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. That the prosperity gospel can go perish with its silver that it has. And you can't buy God. You can't buy gifts from God. You can't buy blessings from God. You can't buy grace from God. For God freely gave grace to you. The reason we give to God isn't so that we get. We give because we've been given and we realize he's given us all we ever need and we don't need the money we have. So we give it to the Lord so he can use it for his kingdom so the gospel continues to move so that disciples are made so that others will come to faith and be baptized. Our money is not needed to buy things from God. Simon didn't understand that. Simon thought he could buy signs and miracles and wonders. Peter calls him into repentance. He says, you need to repent of the wickedness in your heart. Pray to the Lord God that he will forgive you of the intent of your heart. It's usually Peter's response when people say, what do I do now? Repent. It's a hard word for us to hear as church. We like hearing about forgiveness and love and grace. But when we start hearing about repentance, oh, that means I have to stop doing what I got grace for. Got to be obedient unto the Lord. And Simon the magician just did not understand sin because he responds by saying, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. He doesn't even pray for himself, he has no relationship with God, he doesn't understand the gravity of sin. Again, says, pray it won't come upon me. Pray my silver won't perish. Luke writes about Simon the magician so we can see even though someone believes and they're baptized, you judge a tree by its fruit. Throughout scripture, when we begin asking the question, well, how do I know that I have the faith that saves? You judge a tree by its fruit. Are you producing good fruit or bad fruit? 
But remember, your grace in process. You're not perfect today. You won't be perfect tomorrow. You won't be perfect until you reach glory in heaven. But each day, the fruits of the Spirit bear more and more in your lives of peace and joy and love and kindness and self-control. Then you will know, yes, my faith is true. And now we can use what a false convert looks like when we come to Saul, when we come to the one persecuting the church. Is he a true convert? Did he really believe in the gospel? Or did he let his pride, did he get focused on external things? Did he try to buy God? Did he understand sin? I think we'll see. He had some fruit to bear. And so do you.